0: Hello, and thank you for joining me for the Aerospace Unplugged podcast brought to you by Honeywell Aerospace. I'm your host, Adam Kress, and this is your behind-the-scenes look into all things aerospace. On this episode, we have a treat for you as we take a deep dive into the Honeywell Federal Solutions business. We'll listen in as DJ and Eric tell you about a part of Honeywell Aerospace that you may not have heard of before, but it actually plays a big role in our national security. Greetings and welcome to our July 14th, 2021 Virtual Managers Meeting. I'm Joel Ruder, Director of Communications at Honeywell FM&T Corporate Communications. Today's meeting, we're breaking away from our usual format by having a discussion with David D.J. Johnson, Vice President of Honeywell Federal Solutions and Honeywell FM&T President Eric Wallerman. So now I'll turn it over to Eric for some opening comments, Eric.
1: All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome Uh, for those on site. Thank you. And those off site uh, appreciate the time joining. So if you guys didn't know, uh, DJ here is my boss um, back on the corporate side. So thank you for coming Uh, and looking forward to exchanging some dialogue with you. And then for the team, if you do have questions, you know, looking forward to answer uh any opening remarks you'd want to share well
2: first uh let me let me let me thank the entire team and thank you eric for inviting me and having me here on site it's been since uh, february of 2020 uh, a lot has happened since february 2020 um but i can tell you uh, i couldn't be prouder of, of this team uh, of the leadership of of you and the managers the employees on the team uh, this has really been a tremendous ride that we've been on, and there's so much more that we're going to do in the future. But uh, it's just great to have this opportunity to sit and let's talk a little bit about uh, the things that are going on. Great. Okay.
1: All
0: right. We're ready. To so we have the first question. Then. We'd like to uh, tee up for DJ. Uh, mm-hmm. Could you share with us what it is, um, what is Honeywell Federal Solutions?
2: Yeah, sure. I, I'm happy to. And, and, and I, I got to tell you, it, it's, it's a tremendous story about Honeywell Federal Solutions. So first of all, the Federal Solutions Gold Business Enterprise is one of uh, 40 plus gold business enterprises across all of Honeywell. And so if you think about Honeywell as a strategic business group, you know, within the strategic business group, there are gold business enterprises that are really kind of the uh, overall functional P&L owners of the businesses. And so I have the pleasure of leading the gold business enterprise, which is Honeywell Federal Solutions. Its history comes out of fm which I think is the amazing part. It's a journey that we started about four, four or five years ago, where we decided we want to expand the capabilities that Honeywell brings to the NNSA. And so we bid on the job at, San, at Sandia, and we won. We bid on the job at Nevada, and we won. And it's kind of, you know, you're chasing the dog and now the dog's caught the car and what do you do with it? And so we we were tremendously successful at growing this business and we decided to put a gold business enterprise around it so that we would have some functional leadership and some interface with the customer at the executive level. So when you think about Honeywell Federal Solutions, What we do is is we are responsible for kind of the oversight and management of the contracts that we have with the Department of Energy and the National Nuclear Security Administration, which is why I sit in Washington, D.C. instead of sitting at Kansas City or Phoenix or any other location is because that's where the primary customer is not only from a DOE, NNSA perspective, but even from a DOD perspective. Even the end customer sits in Washington, D.C. So it just makes sense for me to have my office there that I'm essentially five minutes away from the customer in a taxi ride. And, And we really have a vision that we want to be the premier management and operating contractor for not only just the Department of Energy, but any federal organization, whether it be the DOD, And it doesn't even have to be U.S. It could actually be international if they have a GOCO or a a government-operated, contractor-operated model. That's something that we're always interested in doing. So that's Federal Solutions in a nutshell.
1: Could you add a little bit about how Honeywell Olathe fits into Federal
2: Solutions? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So, so, of course, those of you here in the area, you know the Olathe facility over in Kansas has a primary responsibility as it relates to the larger Honeywell Aerospace Organization. But Honeywell Federal Solutions has a presence at Olathe, which is where our strategy and business operations organization is located. So whenever we are looking at particular strategies for growing HFS or if we're looking at business opportunities in terms of either business development or how we're supporting the current contracts that we have, that is done from our Olathe facility and we have our staff from an HFS perspective located Mm -hmm.
1: there. And then maybe one other thing, how large is your staff? Now, and I get you have the contracts, but how many resources do you have to deal with to go manage this global business? Yeah, not nearly
2: enough. (laughs) 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 That's the honest answer. Um, So we have a very small staff. Um, So myself, uh, Ralph Patelli, who is our uh, senior director for business strategy and business operations, David Bunn, who's one of our senior managers, Uh, Scott Cunningham, who uh, takes care of all of our administrative and analytical support, that uh, is provided. So, uh, and then we have functional supporters, uh, Therese LeBlanc, who is our general counsel, who supports federal solutions. And then we have others who provide part-time support, like Ryan Matthews, who all of you know here, also supports the federal solutions business as my CFO. Mm -hmm. So at the HFS level in the oversight of all the different sites. He provides that support for us to kind of collaborate and bring all of that information together. So very small staff and very much unlike our competitors. Our competitors may have 15, 20, 30 people on their staff. We have a staff of less than six people. And so that's one of the amazing things about our organization is we have such great collaboration with our sites that a lot of that we do together as an organization. Great. Yeah. And let's talk a little bit about the, the enterprise, because yeah. I think this is the interesting part is, you know, most people, of course, are very familiar with fm here in Kansas City. But of course, we have the Sandia National Laboratory under the INTES LLC mm-hmm. organization. We have the Nevada uh, National Security Site under the MSTS LLC. Mm-hmm. And then at Savannah River, we have the uh, Savannah River Nuclear Solutions LLC. So four locations of the eight different locations within the NNSA. Uh, we are the only contractor that has presence at that many sites around the enterprise.
0: Great. Okay, mm-hmm. we have a few more for DJ. Mm-hmm. DJ, could you explain what your top priorities are yeah, at Honeywell Federal Solutions?
2: Yeah, I, that's, a, that's a great question. And, and it's one that Eric and I talk a lot about in terms of the priorities for Federal Solutions because we want to make sure we have alignment with what we're doing at fm I have this conversation with Dr. Perry at, at uh, Sandia and with Mark Martinez at Nevada and with a JC Epstein who is uh, at Savannah River and we talk about the priorities as it relates to how do we continue to differentiate ourselves as Honeywell within the federal uh, solution space. And a lot of that is about the best practices that we bring from a commercial best practices perspective. Uh, many may know that Honeywell is going through a transformation We talk a lot about being a software industrial company. And that's a bit of a change from those who have been around Honeywell for probably more than 10 or 15 years, that that's a big change for how Honeywell is viewed in the industry. And so we want to take what are the best practices from that transformation and bring that to our federal customers. And so one of our priorities is best practices. How do we take things like digital transformation and bring those into our federal government contracts. Mm -hmm. Then the second thing that we look at is talent. You know, One of the things that Honeywell is very well known for is the engineering technology talent that we bring to many industries. Well, we also wanna bring that to this industry as well. And so that's our second priority is to look at the talent and how we develop that. How do we build succession plans? And making sure we demonstrate to our customer that the team that we have on the field today is growing even more teams behind it. So that way, the 71-plus years we've had here at Kansas City, we're going to have another 70 years because we've developed the talent to continue to build that. And, oh, by the way, we want to have a 70-year relationship with Sandia mm-hmm. and a 70-year relationship with Nevada and a 70-year relationship with Savannah River. So, so those are the really the two key priorities are the business practices and the talent that we're developing. So,
0: DJ, how do you accomplish this pr- these priorities?
2: Uh, it's not easy. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I think that the, the, the key for us, so if we take the um, best practices, it's really about collaborating and networking across uh, Honeywell, and many of you know Honeywell is 110,000 people. It's a, it's a large organization, mm-hmm. globally a large organization. But making sure that we can connect the right experts from Honeywell to FMN;T is how we drive those commercial best practices into this organization. And oh by the way, it helps other people outside of FMN;T understand the business, and they get bought into it, They're, and, they, and they have skin in the game mm-hmm. to see us be successful. And so that's the first thing is in terms of bringing commercial best practices, it's about building a network around Honeywell around this site. The second thing is in terms of talent management, talent development. So Honeywell has tremendous capabilities in terms of tools, uh, training, education, to help us build these kinds of development programs to help develop our people. So we can leverage the best of Honeywell's capabilities in doing those things in order to develop the talent.
1: Yeah, and I, I would say for the first, the Federal Solutions team does a nice job communicating what fmnt is (laughs) Uh, a lot of people in honeywell still don't know that sandia labs is is part of federal solutions Mm -hmm. um and maybe some people in sandia don't know they're (laughs) part of it either um but ultimately i think there's an awareness and especially for me coming from aero you know fmnt was the business that no one ever talked about um and then it was like you can't (laughs) No, you can't interact with them. Well, that's not really the case. That's right. um, there's a lot of value there, and it's figuring out how do you navigate that. And I think you do a great job doing that. You know, especially being in D.C., our government relations teams there, um, a lot of connectivity that happens there. And then I think the all the Federal Solutions team, you know, connecting back into Arrow and your leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it helps that our current president Mike Madsen, and now um, the ISC. Uh, supply Chain VP Steven Slipovich also had some, you know, previous experience Absolutely. here. Uh, Karen Madamore, our HR leader at corporate, um, also oversaw this. So there's a lot of good talent in Honeywell at the very senior leadership level Absolutely. that's aware of this business. And I think it only helps enable uh, what you're doing with Federal Solutions.
2: Yeah, and make a, a really good point. And, and even if you go even further up the food chain, so someone like Vic Miller, you know who was who very intimate with the things that we did here at FMT, and then as we grew the business, Vic actually accelerated up into the organization, and now he's at the corporate level. Mm-hmm. And again, another person who knows about FMT, knows about the portfolio for HFS and the things that we do, and that's how we get the word out about the things that we're doing. And I've personally have briefed Darius. Uh, as our CEO about not only FMNT but our entire portfolio. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you, he's he's always very impressed with the work that we do here, not just from a business perspective, but just from the reputation that it gives to us as being a leading edge technology organization. Even though we're doing this on behalf of the government, it's also because that we bring these commercial best practices that make that even better for our customers.
0: Yeah, great. So DJ earlier you talked about um, using the graphic of our different sites uh, mm-hmm. you know after 2015 2016 17 you know Honeywell landed some very impressive wins with not only the KCNSC here but also Sandia National Labs Nas- uh, Nevada National Security Site and Savannah River contracts mm-hmm. what contributed
2: to the success of these wins Wow, there, there, there's a lot there. Uh, I, I, I don't want to say it was luck <laughs> because you got to have a plan. And so it, it started off first with kind of a strategy deployment that said, hey, how can we take what is best about FMT, understand what those capabilities are, and can they be easily scaled and translated to other facilities, to a lab environment, to a test site environment? And so I would l- go back and look at the things that we talked about in the proposals that we used in order to win. And that was we communicated what was best about fm t from a past performance perspective, what was best about FM&T from a people perspective, and then also from a business operations perspective. And when you take those types of things and you, and you lift and shift those into other organizations, the government sees the value of what Honeywell could bring to different sites. So Sandia was the first example of where we took some things that were good out of FMNT and and worked to translate those and try to do fit for purpose for Sandia. Mm-hmm. And the government agreed that that was that was what they wanted to see. And so we were successful in winning Sandia. If we look at Nevada, again, very different situation, different organization. But what they thought about was the process discipline, the business operations discipline, HOS, and how important that was to bring that kind of discipline from an execution perspective to Nevada. And so that was a differentiator that we truly believe was the reason why we won both of those contracts. Uh, I also think the competitors just didn't see us coming. I think they really thought that Honeywell was just comfortable just running FM&T. And that's all they were going to do. And I think we had to demonstrate to people that we really felt like we could contribute to the nation's security by expanding what we do here to other locations. Okay. Mm -hmm.
0: Okay, I have uh, two questions. I'll start off with Eric, but then I'll follow up. um, Same line of thinking to DJ. Uh, Eric, you know, as the president of the site, uh, where and how are you seeing Honeywell's value being implemented here? And DJ, are you seeing Honeywell's value being implemented throughout the other sites managed by Honeywell, okay. so it's a two-parter.
1: Yeah. So, so I'll take the first one. I, I and DJ kind of alluded to it, um, and, and I could speak to it really from where I've come. Like I came from the non-FMNT but still Honeywell world, and you're coming into a, a, a different type of environment, but yet it feels like it's still the Honeywell that I know. Um, so. Having a, a legacy culture you know of seventy years of connections and touch points has allowed this business to mature as Honeywells matured and evolved as you know the the business has evolved and the incorporation of HOS is a great example um, how this site got engaged early on in the process reached into Honeywell understood what it is made it for its own ran for the assessments um scored itself scored well and really became a leader in in what we do and if you look at our factories you look at our layout look at the way we've executed the move from banister to bots Mm -hmm. um, that transition plan that activity um we've just ingrained it into our culture um so we see HOS is just part of what we do. It's not an, an and then or something else. By doing that, and you know, as we've grown here as a business, we've transferred that culture into all the people that have come in. Um, and I think it's still a very results-oriented culture. Mm-hmm. Um, we're still trying to, to, to drive for better performance. Mm-hmm. Um, you've seen the flawless launch. You you know You've seen NPI, new product realization activities, um and, and we're seeing this word producibility, um, which really you could say is a made up word that Honeywell made up, and now we talk about it um all across the enterprise. We're talking it with our DAs. Um and so we really are seeing it, and we may not recognize it that's there all the time, um, but it, us staying connected to those larger strategic initiatives and directions has really allowed FMNT to bring that here figure out how to apply it with the same spirit and intent and and, uh, apply it into this enterprise. And then we're seeing it, uh, you know, evolve in our interactions with, you know, our sister and peer sites.
2: Yeah, Yeah, I'll answer the kind of the broader question in terms of the implementation across the the rest of the the sites. So so I, I. you know, being the head of HFS, I also have the privilege of sitting on the board at Sandia as part of their board of managers. I also sit on the board at uh, Savannah River uh, and their board of managers. I actually am the board chair for the Nevada site. So I get the privilege of seeing the different sites and how they're governed, how they're executing. And so one of the things I, I see from an implementation perspective is you think about HOS and some of the elements of that, things like tiered accountability. Well, who does tiered accountability now? A lot of the sites are doing it, you know, and we're seeing it collaborating across the site. So tier 5.5 that Kansas City does with Sandia is something we had not done before. And so that's a that's an artifact of Honeywell in its capability. Uh, just between Savannah River and Kansas City, you have a tier 2.5 where From a tritium perspective, you have this relationship with Kansas City and this ability to escalate issues and do problem solving. Even at the headquarters level where you have a tier six and a tier seven, I, I would I would guess no one thought three years ago we would be doing tier six and tier seven at NNSA headquarters. Those are the implementation of the best practices from a Honeywell perspective. And in fact, we're even hearing now people wanting to do a tier six and tier seven as it relates to the Nevada site, mm-hmm. because they have issues that are broader across the board to the various sites as they do the uh, USEP program, which is the new underground testing capability. And it involves LANL. Call it involves not Sandia, Livermore. And so now do they need a tier six and a tier seven at the headquarters level these are the kind of implementation things that i get to see that are real from a honeywell perspective that are being implemented across the enterprise but i can tell you the feedback that i get from them both from the headquarters and even from the conversations i have with the field office managers at the various locations they have very high hopes and very high expectations for honeywell because they see the presence that Honeywell has across the site and, and they constantly remind me about, hey, there's a reason why Honeywell was selected at these particular sites. Number one, because you have demonstrated past performance. That says you know how to run complicated organizations. You know how to drive culture into those organizations. That's a culture of continuous process improvement. And they want to see continuous process improvement. And that means continuous improvement in terms of communication, continuous improvement in terms of collaboration, technology, exchange, and just getting the job done. Mm -hmm. And so I think their feedback would be is, hey, you're getting better at this. And I'll admit we got off to a little bit of a rocky start um, running Sandia and Nevada. Not that we didn't, we had a great transition. We were able to get our team on board and getting people operated. We're getting tier boards in place and we were deploying HOS in its fashion at Sandia and at Nevada. But in terms of getting the sites to collaborate better with one another, to really improve that communication, it took us a little bit longer than what we expected. Um, But I think the customer will tell us now is, we like to see that collaboration. one of the comments I heard two years ago was, gee, when a problem happens, it was never Sandia and, and Kansas City working together. It was who's pointing the finger at the other. If you ask them that today, they'll say, wow, it's, like, it's always collaborating on how to solve a problem. When I talk to Dr. Perry, it's like talking to Eric. When I talk to Eric, it's like talking to Dr. Perry. There's this linkage that we've created between the, the two sites, and we're expanding that to the other sites. I mean, we're making outreaches to Livermore and to Los Alamos, partnering with them, bringing them and and and, and going and joining arm in arm together to know that we as an enterprise are required and need to collaborate with one another. And so if I feel like Honeywell's helped to enable that because we've tried to break down those barriers for relationships and help build those foundations.
1: I agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm
0: question came in is what does honeywell offer that others can't what sets our management apart i'll send it to you eric see if you want to start
1: Hmm. so uh, you can kind of take it a a couple so i think what i said with with hos um but but broader than that honeywell is a huge organization Mm -hmm. and it if you look at all the different things Honeywell does, even outside the aerospace portfolio, there's so many different things that it's like a, this free resource of information that we just have to figure out how to navigate. Yep. And we can you know, really bring the value into what we do here in the NNSA or even the DOE. I mean, we have applied that. The SCMC is a great example where mm-hmm. we brought in the SCMC um, is really generated from what Honeywell is delivering value for itself. We took that, brought it in, and go, hey, we can offer this in, you know, the NSA and DOE sites. Uh, we created the SCMC, and, and it's been running. You know, we had a billion dollars of savings last year, uh, well, up, til last up year. till last year. Up till last right? year, but <laughs> I, I think we offer that, and, and DJ can probably add to the complexity. You know, being our relationship here in Kansas City has always been with Honeywell and a hundred percent Honeywell. And so we have a very easy connection, um, without a lot of politics to get in the way of, of, I- as long as we engage and we can, can find that, that counterpart on the other side to engage with, we understand our rules of engagement. The possibilities are endless. Um, and, there's so much opportunity that in our environment, um, especially in a government space, um, that if, if we can find ways to bring a commercial best practice in and apply it in our environment, um, it could yield savings to schedule or cost mm-hmm. um, to taxpayer dollars. But then also drive our, our national security mission. So I mean, think it, it's huge. It's a huge asset for the NSA. You know, and, and for, you know, our country to have us involved doing it.
2: Yeah, I, I think the thing I would add to that is, um, and you, and we talk about comparing ourselves to competitors. So so think about the competitors that are at other sites that are, and sometimes teammates of ours, sometimes they're competitors. But in many cases, they are engineering um engineering product and construction kind of companies. So they're EPCs. Honeywell is not an EPC. Honeywell is a commercial products company. And so when you're a commercial products company, you think about problems differently. You think about it from a production perspective. And so here's what I feel is like our differentiator against our competition. And again, sometimes our teammates. And that is we look at these kind of problems from a Production mindset. Let, let's just take an example. Nevada. So when we took over the Nevada uh, national security site through MSTs, they were doing essentially one subcrit experiment a year, just one, and and it was taking them like twelve months to get geared up, get ready for that one subcrit, and so pretty good pace. But we brought a production kind of mindset that says, look, we could actually do more if we really kind of leaned out some of the processes, really worked with the customers up front to set requirements, design experiments, execute those, move on to the next one. And so now we're doing four to five subcrit experiments each year. But that's because we looked at it from a production mindset perspective and not just from an experimental mindset Not that there was anything wrong with what they were doing before, but this is how we got more capacity and more capability out of a place like Nevada. Same is true at Sandia. We've offered to them, demonstrated things to them as to how you can have a bit of a more production mindset around design so that you can produce them faster. Not that we want to influence the design. In fact, that's the last thing that we want to do. But through things like Flawless Launch and MPI, we've introduced things to them where they can speed up the process. Because one of the things we talked about with Sandia is their biggest differentiator to the nuclear deterrence mission is not because they're the smartest people in the world, because they are. What's the differentiator is, is that you can do it faster than your competitors. That's the real differentiator in the nuclear deterrence business, is we have to be able to evolve our systems faster than our competitors are doing it. And so helping Sandia understand how to really kind of drive that, I think, has been a differentiator for us. But we have a tremendous amount more that we want to be able to help all of the sites be able to do. And I think those are the things that kind of set us apart from our competition.
0: I have a few questions that uh, are coming in and they're more about people and culture Mm -hmm. uh, before we get to a couple that have also uh, recently popped up on my screen here. You know, we've talked about the value um, that Honeywell brings, our processes. What about the people? Um, Are they, they're the ones that are keeping our mission alive and going. What are your thoughts on the talent here and what can we do to keep our talent and attract new talent?
1: So I'll start it. so coming from, the Honeywell side outside of FMT and coming here. Um, you know, and especially coming in a new role. What do you expect? Um, I'm blown away by the people. Mm-hmm. Um, brilliant people. Um, and it's amazing, you know, I, I used to think, you know especially when we were going through HI, we, we had great pride in our mission. We do our in our manager effectiveness surveys um or it was positive employee relations and we we get really excited about pride uh, i mean that's here and fmnt was le- is here um the, this this pride for the mission and the focus and dedication um i mean i i feel it um in what we do um it's amazing and by coming into this environment then. You know, people can wrap themselves around the mission very well, and you know, with managers on the call. I mean, it's our jobs to go, continue to develop our teams, continue to keep them challenged, um, and, and people. Th- there's an endless amount of learning here, mm-hmm. and an endless amount of ways to apply yourself, and multiple career paths you can go and never leave this business, um, which is pretty amazing. And you can't do that. I'd love to say anywhere else in Honeywell. I'll, I'll let you decide if that's real. Um, because of the way we're designed and how we operate, um, it it really presents some a great environment to thrive in for our employees. And, and it's on us as managers. You know, we've done a lot of hiring over the last few years. You know, to retain that talent, keep them challenged. You know, those that that rise in the organization. You know, continue to develop them. Those that, that want to become experts in their organization or contribute where they are, you know we value everybody um, because it takes all of us to execute this mission so it, it's on us as leaders to to continue to, to make that thrive. Uh, the mission you know I'd love to say will always be there, um, but I think it, it does give us a great foundation to, to drive from.
2: Yeah, I'll I'll tag on to that and talk a little bit about uh, transparency and engagement um, as it it pertains to our workforce. Uh, And this kind of goes to to the question as it relates to how do we develop talent? How do we recruit people? How do we keep people? And so I I always kind of think of those two things. Transparency and engagement are really kind of the two things from an employee engagement perspective that I think not only encourages and has people come and work for us, but it keeps them here. You talk about pride in the mission. Well, there's a transparency that goes with that, that we're transparent about the, the ultimate mission that we serve and the national security posture that we are trying to help the country maintain. There's a pride element that goes with understanding that that's part of what we do. There's a transparency that goes with managers who sit down and aren't helping to develop their team, but they develop them by being honest with them by having critical conversations with them about performance, about goal setting, about what's important for the customer, about continuous improvement and listening to the feedback from our employees about how do we make things better and taking those kinds of things seriously. Those are all a part of what we do within HOS Mm -hmm. and that's a part of the employee engagement part that I think we have to have. I also think we have to acknowledge that there's great ideas out there that maybe don't always get heard And that's where a lot of our inclusion and diversity uh, efforts are coming from, is because it's one thing to be diverse in terms of all the different diversity areas that are out there. But if it's not inclusive, if we're not listening to all of those great ideas that maybe the shy person that's sitting in the corner has a great idea, but the last time they brought it up, they got shot down. But encouraging that engagement. Mm -hmm. I think those are the things that attract people about working for a Honeywell um, and staying with the Honeywell. Mm-hmm. Now, we're not a perfect company. We've got challenges that we're all trying to work through. We're even dealing with you know, working remote versus coming back into the building and trying to get that chemistry right about how do we do that. But at the end of the day, we know that we have a mission we have to perform. Mm-hmm. And we have a customer that has high expectations for us to perform that work. And that's always going to be foremost in front of us.
0: Okay, two more questions before mm-hmm. I ask to wrap things up, and mm-hmm. I'll throw this one out there. Let's have a uh, both of you give a future projection of the KCNSC. What would you like to see happen in the next
2: coming years?
1: I'm going to let you go first on this <laughs> one.
2: <laughs> well, well, I will tell you my, my, my horizon is very long. Um, I'm already looking into 2050 already and saying what does KCNSC look like because we would still be here. We will have digitally transformed this place where it is automated in a lot of its processes. Not because we have less people, but because we have more people because we're doing even more things for mm-hmm. this customer. Um, and so I see that in the future for this site, but from an HFS perspective, I see us at Sandia can, you know, into our third, fourth contract 10 years with them same with nevada we're at other sites influencing them with those capabilities and i also see hfs overseas doing that with other federal governments that are aligned with the u.s in this business area to be able to provide those same kind of capabilities to them so so i have a pretty it's pretty far out there. Now, I don't expect to be here in 2050. <laughs> so just just in case anyone has any expectations, there is a limit to my runway at some point. Um, but I clearly expect the name Honeywell to still be here in 2050 and still going strong.
1: All right. So, so I'll take it because um, I'm very bought into our strategic plans uh, here at the site. And, you know, I look at, all five initiatives that we have. Um, So if you look at production-ready enterprise or rate readiness, um, and you look at the time it takes to execute a program, you know, 10, 15 years, um, and I think Dr. Verdon would be really happy to hear, say, can we really do that in less time? Um, And and we look at, you know, we're in an environment where the hardware needed before you get Mm -hmm. to that first production unit is more hardware than you actually have in production. <laughs> Something isn't right there, <laughs> right? right? And and to drive that, you know, you need to rethink the way you're building, designing, and getting confidence in your product. Because I don't think requirements will lessen. It'll be different ways of how do you get confidence mm-hmm. that you're meeting those requirements. Um, we've talked with Sandia about ModSim um, on how can you really get. Confidence in modeling something where you actually don't need hardware. Um, Can you iterate on your design without actually producing a part? Um, And so then when you go to produce it, it's a better design. I I would expect to see us um, in that space. Um, When we go into um, our supply chain, you know, I would like to be at least in the DOD within Honeywell to be recognized for one of the best supply chains out there, Mm -hmm. getting a handle on the risk that's out there and and confident in what we're executing. And it's one that can be counted on whether we make something here, we have a supplier do that, Um, and and it's known. And and we just blow that out of the water and we're invested in doing that, um, but it'll be a huge enabler for us. Um, I think all of us would like to say we actually have a space and the right amount of space (laughs) um, and maybe even some white space to go be a little more agile. Um, You know, we feel like we're a little impaired at the moment. Um, Now we might have to be creative in the ways we create that agility. Um, It may not just be, hey, here's just an extra, you know, a couple million square feet just in case you need it. I'm not (laughs) expecting that. We will have to work (laughs) on that. Um, And I, I think the digital technology piece, how we use data, the connectivity way beyond what we do here within our FMNT business is crucial. Um, We have it in our 25-year plan. We're working with NNSA. We wanna see that connectivity. If we just build a connection between Sandia and Kansas City, we fail. But we all fail. And we need to figure out how we use that data you know, I'd like to see a cloud environment, um, when, right. Um, and how do we manage that risk Mm -hmm. and be comfortable doing that? And then I think I work for, so I don't know if I'll be here in 2050. I I haven't thought that far ahead, (laughs) um, or how far in debt I'll be with my kids that I just need to work. But, but I love everyone that's here today to go see that they're able to contribute to that journey. Um, we bring in, you know, maturity in our diversity and inclusion aspects uh, as you pointed in in others. Um, And and we're really, you know, I feel like we're an employer of choice, um, but I think we could be even much more Mm -hmm. um, and really recognized and, and well connected within our corporate parent that, you know, people are standing up outside to, how do I get in this place? in um, the talents there and, and we have the tough job of just picking this great talent um, and, and I think we have a lot of foundational activities there and I think it's on us to get us there but um, I think it, it's a bright future uh, for what we see yep
2: I agree All
0: right. and before we wrap things up we'll go along a personal note mm-hmm. um, <laughs> as being leaders in a fast-paced environment how do you unwind
1: I I have four-year-old triplets. Um, I forgot what unwinding is. Uh, My unwind right now is taking them fishing. And that means that I don't get to fish. Um, And what it means is I can go through a dozen nightcrawlers, cut them in quarters in about an hour. Um, And all I do is take fish off and on and put worms on and off. And I bring a beer with me and I never even get to drink it. Um, so I, I love it. My kids love it. Um, you know, I enjoy it cause I, I can't even think about work cause I'm worried about my kids falling in the water. So I, it, and you can't bring a phone cause you might knock it in the water. So it is a complete disconnect any t- opportunity i can i, I s- tell my wife to stay home and i'll go I'll, I'll go take my kids out fishing so right now that that's the ticket and, um and who knows you know i think maybe tomorrow i'll get to do it again yeah. <laughs> well I,
2: I, that's a, that's an interesting question um so in in past lives people have said that dj's a vampire because you know they get emails from me at two and three o'clock in the morning and i always tell them. Please, if you respond to me at two or three o'clock in the morning, something's wrong with you. I already know that I'm crazy. <laughs> I don't want you to be crazy. So, um, but I, I think the, the thing that I unwind and, and you know, everybody kind of goes through different cycles in their life about what, you know, what they use to unwind with my, my kids are no longer small. My, my oldest is 28. My youngest is 26. Um, they're pretty self-sufficient, although they're still in my wallet to some degree <laughs> and I'm still working on that. That's what I would really like some relief from. Um, but last year I bought a John Deere riding lawnmower and uh, I cutting my grass is truly my uh, release. I, I, I mean, I have been known during the day you know, I've been done back to back meetings all day. It gets about two in the afternoon and I've blocked out an hour. I go get out on the John Deere, put the headphones on and I'm just driving, cutting my grass and I'm processing the things that, you know, have transpired for the day. And I start thinking of, hey, we could do this, we could do that. Wow, that would be great. Now, the, the, the patterns I'm cutting in the yard probably aren't quite straight because I'm losing focus but it's it's just always been something I've always liked doing is 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 just my my yard. And so that's my release as I go out and I cut my grass. Mm-hmm. Now, in the wintertime, there's a problem there because I can't cut snow or anything like that. But uh, what I've figured is I figure if I could use my John Deere to remove snow from my neighbor's driveway, I could pick up a couple extra dollars, you know, so uh, I'm always thinking about AOP, thinking about money. So, (laughs) okay, maybe I can, you know, get my neighbors to pay for my gas or whatever. So uh, so that's that's my release. You asked. I had to give you that. that answer. Well, these are great images. I'm going to have to see if you
0: have anything in your Facebook feed so we can see this. And, my, and my, daughters, my
2: daughters are not allowed to take pictures of me on the John Deere. I'm trying to keep my image here in my suit. Now, people think I actually ride in my lawnmower with this on. I actually take the tie off when I, uh, okay, when I cut my grass. Off. So just want to let you know.
0: That's great. That's great. On that note, any parting comments that you would both like to make before we close out this meeting?
1: no i again thanks uh uh, dj is here today and we had a couple other honeywell visitors so it's great to have you um especially since being enrolled to to see you um, on site again we we welcome you back um and we welcome you know any other honeywell visitors to to really learn more and engage with us so Thanks for coming.
2: No, thank you. And thanks again for the invite. And thanks for inviting uh, other members of the Honeywell Aerospace Team uh, to be here. This will not be the last time we want to continue this type of outreach to the rest of Honeywell. I can envision us bringing folks from PMT and SPS and HBT to come and see the types of things that we do here. Because, again, they're, they're going through transformational efforts as well. And there may be some things that are applicable that they are doing that they could help pour into this site as well. And so we just look forward to the continued relationship that we have with this organization. And I, can, I just can't tell you how proud I am of what this team has done over the, the, the last year. Uh, we were joking earlier today about the COVID babies that we have. And when I say COVID babies, that means anybody who's come to Honeywell since the start of COVID we consider you as a COVID baby because you were birthed during COVID. <laughs> and, and and we have lots of them within our organization, across the enterprise. And we just want to celebrate them, welcoming them into this family, into this culture. And now we actually get to see them face to face and they get to see us. And so I just couldn't be prouder of the, the work that the fm team is doing. So keep up the great work.
1: Thanks. Thanks. Appreciate so thank it. Thank you.